This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. It's a privilege to be here this morning together in your fellowship to look at God's Word and to hear God's Word um, ourselves. It is a privilege because not everyone gets this around the world, but while we have it, we rejoice and we enjoy each other's fellowship. So let's begin this time by committing ourselves to the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, prepare our ears and eyes that we can hear and see. Prepare our minds that we can comprehend. Prepare our hearts that we can respond. And strengthen our hands and our will that we can live for your glory. Amen. What is the cost of sin? What is the cost of sin. Have we ever considered the cost of sin to us and to God? Have we ever considered the cost of sin to us and to God? This morning as we come to Second Samuel chapter 12, after the many offenses that David committed back in chapter 11, including his last after Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, the last verse of last week's passage tells us this. In chapter 11, 27, after the time of mourning was over, David had Bathsheba brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Now in the previous chapter, David had committed hideous crimes of adultery with and or possibly rape of Bathsheba. And the murder of Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, as well as soldiers who were fighting a war for David. And after Uriah died as planned, David did it his way. He got what he wanted. He seems to have gotten away for his crimes. But the last verse of last week's passage tells us that God, who had been silent for the whole chapter, was not pleased. He saw Everything. Verse 27, the thing David had done displeased the Lord. After Bathsheba had borne David a son, chapter 12 begins this way. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. Who is Nathan? Nathan was a prophet from God. The last time we heard Nathan coming to David was when Nathan brought an amazing promise of God to David in 2 Samuel 7. God said that God would build a house a kingdom for David, he would have, he would make David's name great. In fact, the kingship and the kingdom of David's son will last forever. So great was God's promise in 2 Samuel 7 that when David heard what God said through Nathan, this is what David did. David, uh, 2 Samuel 7 verse 18, David went into the God, into God's tent and sat before the Lord and he said, who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this is this was not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, sovereign Lord. So this time, as the prophet Nathan appears before David's court, David was totally unguarded about this prophet of good news. And so David, Nathan approached David and brought before David a case of two men. 
This is what Nathan said in verse 1 to 4. Well, there are two men in a certain town, one rich, the other poor. The rich had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, it grew up with him and his children, it shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Now when David heard this account, this what verse 5 tells us, David burned with anger. You can see the blood vessels going up, the face turning red. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, this man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Now the law of Moses says this, A man guilty of robbing another man's lamb, he must pay four times over. Which David was well aware of. Uh, as the king, as the judge of Israel. But the context of the man's guilt stirred up David's righteous anger. Now, a rich man who had everything, had such a large flock and livestock, he took that poor man who had barely anything, who had paid with his sweat and his toil, for this little ewe lamb. This little ewe lamb was all that the poor man had. But he was happy with her. He paid for it. He raised it as his family. He, he, it ate from his hand, drank from his cup. It's kind of his bolster, right? Slept in his arms. Then out of a sudden, this powerful rich man came and he robbed this poor man of his own little ewe and killed it. Life changed forever. So when Nathan presented the case, David burned with anger. Now, I want to put a context right, because Nathan and David, they were not having afternoon tea talking about morality here. Because the king's role was not just to rule, the king's role was to judge. Because ever since the last judge Samuel um, moved on and the kings rise up, the king's role was not just to rule but to judge. So the king here, he's required to study the law and execute judgment. So as Nathan brought up this case in David's courtroom, David was not speaking as a friend. He was speaking as the king and the judge. So as the background of these two men are described to him, David's anger burned and he declared that while judgment of law requires four lambs, the judgment by evilness deserves death. Actually, David said the other way around. When his anger rose, he shouted, Death, he must die. And then he had to sit back and... As the judge, he can't put that man to to death. He says he has to pay four times over. Do you see his anger? And then he had to step back as the judge. And it was at this point that Nathan turned to David and says, You're right. You are that man. Nathan is saying to David, You are that guilty rich man who has taken the only possession of the poor man Uriah had. You know the law, David, whether by the letter of the law or the spirit of the law, David, you must die. Who dares to speak to the king this way? Except for the messenger of the heavenly king. David, you must die. Nathan continued, verse 7. Look at it with me. 
This is why the Lord, the God of Israel, say, I anointed you king of Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house to you, your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Now Nathan paints the background of David to review that David's crimes are worse than just adultery, rape, or murder. God had blessed and honored the unnoticed, unimportant shepherd boy and made him the greatest man that lived at that time. I anointed you, I delivered you, I gave you, I would have given you even more. In fact, God had already promised him an eternal dynasty. Everything David had was given to him by the God King. Now, David was below one man, or below one, which is God himself, but he's above the rest. David has the kingdom under him. In fact, he has the whole world under him because who can defeat the king and the anointed of God? In fact, the Bible tells us that nations have to go through his kingdom to God. That is what God had given to David, the the unknown shepherd boy. But did David remember his earlier declaration in chapter 7 where he said, Who am I, sovereign Lord? What's my family that you brought me this far? David forgot all about God. In In his actions, David had just taken one throne too far. He decided that he should sit on God's throne. Verse 9. The God of Israel said to David, Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what God said to David. You despised me. Dear friends, as we pause here, let's consider the seriousness of sin. What was David's greatest sin? It was not adultery. It was not rape. It was not murder. His greatest sin was wanting to usurp God's throne by despising God and God's word. What happens when we sin? when we ignore God's command, when we reason ourselves of what God had already said no, when we trivialize sins or we excuse ourselves by saying, I'll just ask God for forgiveness after this, or oh, this sin is not as serious as those really serious sins, right? Or sin is no longer a scary thing. I'll just say those magic words in Jesus' name. Perhaps for King David, he had convinced himself, well, after all, I'm the king. I might just have that bit more privilege than the rest. God said to David, You despise me. Dear friends, what happens when we sin? At a horizontal view, we can see there are a different kind of seriousness of sin, right? From white lie to intended murder. From a horizontal view, we see there is a huge kind of difference. But from a vertical view, All sins are rebellions against God. It's likened to us saying, God, you know what, God? 
I would like to take your throne on this one. Well, you can have your throne and others, but for this one, I would like to take your throne. That's what we do when we choose to sin, when God says no. God said to David, you despised me. <laughs> Such is the hideousness of sin. That's why David said in Psalms 51, when he repented, this is what David said in Psalms 51, verse 3, I, For I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. No, when someone reads this, they'll say, How dare you, David? Only to God? What did David mean when he said, Against you, you only have I sinned. No, what David is not trying to say that he have only he had only offended God, not Bathsheba, not Uriah, not the dead Israelite soldiers. In fact, he did not betray the whole of Israel by using God's enemy to kill God's people. Can you imagine the irony of David? He's not saying that he had sinned against only God and no one else. But David is saying that at the root of all his hideous crimes... He despised God. Such is the evil of our hearts. When we sin against God, when we draw near to sin, and then we say to God, God, for this one, I would like to take your throne. Dear friends, sin is hideous. We must never take sin lightly. The last words David expected from his good friend, the good news prophet, Nathan to say, but Nathan said it, verse 10, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me. The scars for rebelling against God will be painful. And so Nathan continued God's judgment on verse 11. Look at verse 11 with me. This is what the Lord says, out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity to you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives, give them to one who is close to you. He will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. David, you did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Now, I'm not going to go into details here because these consequences will unfold for the rest of Second Samuel. But the message here is clear. David will bear the consequence for his sins. That was Nathan's message. Now, how will David respond to Nathan this time around? Now, having, we have read the story, but if you're not, how would the rest view David and how would he respond? Now, having just issued his own death sentence and Nathan come in and says, you're right, David, that's what you deserve. What will David do? You know what? There's never been ambiguity in David's sins. But now that Nathan has so daringly declared David's sentence, the questions for everyone else at the time is, what will David do? Will David hide behind his own throne or claim the king's privilege? Or to find excuses? Or perhaps finish what he has started all along? Just kill Nathan. And that will silence everyone, set the example. Um, nobody knows right in the court when Nathan brings this up. How did David respond? This is his response, verse 13. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. You have to, if you have read 11 and 12, you have to know, realize how shocking is the turn 
of event here. David knew that he had sinned, and at Nathan's condemnation, David comes clean to God. He doesn't know what is God going to say next. Is he going to lose his crown? But he said, I have sinned against the Lord. David knew that he had sinned and hurt many people, but his greatest sin is his contempt for God and his word. God's judgment for God himself. I have sinned against the Lord. Now, as we look at this verse, if David's confession of his sin was shocking, what comes next from Nathan's mouth is even more. Look at the second part of verse 13. Then Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. So sandwiched between the hideous sin of despising God and the painful scar of sin that David has to bear comes this most amazing interaction of a hideous sinner and a merciful God. David repent, God forgave. Dear friends, if this sounds shocking or even scandalous, that God will forgive a sinner like David, then let me put this up front. This is the heart of Christianity. This is the message of our Bible. When a sinner repents of his hideous sins, even the worst sinners whose sins cause very, very deep scars to them and everyone else on this side of life, when he or she truly repents, God forgives. Dear friends, the whole scripture, the Bible, is like Nathan. It comes in, it shines on our hideous sins, sins against our, our enemies, our loved ones, our mind, our strangers, our neighbors, sin of our eyes, our mouths, our minds, our hearts. Like Nathan, the Bible shines and declares to us, you sinners, you deserve death. Because the root of all our sin is that we despise God. We want to take God's throne. We want to be our king. And like Nathan, the Bible declares, death, death, death. But right after God's shocking words of condemnation comes an even more shocking promise. If we repent of sin, God will also take away our sins. We will not die on the final day of judgment when every living creature who had breathed before have to give account for our crimes and our sin. On that day, those who repent while they had the chance will be forgiven. We must take heed of David's repentance and God's promise. This is what David said in Psalm 32. He said this, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Though my groaning all day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My, my strength was set as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Dear friends, if we acknowledge our sins, God will forgive us. Let us take heed from David's words. Let all who now acknowledge God come to him in repentance while God may be found. And God will forgive. 
we can be forgiven. Now, I wish I can end, kind of end it here and call it a day, but God has more to tell us about the reality of sin on this side of life. There will be painful scars for sins, even for forgiven sinners like David. There are painful scars that sins bring to us and to people around us. So let me read what happens on this side of life for David. Verse 30. 13b, Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die, but because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to him, to David. He became ill. David pleaded with the Lord for the child. He fasted, spent the nights lying in sackcloth for the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused. He would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. You know what? David did not die for his sin because God had forgiven him. But the consequence remains. The son born to him will die. This is... This will be one of the painful scars for David, the forgiven sinners. You know what? Verse 15 and 17 as that we read uh, tell us how David pleaded with God for the child, likened to a distraught father looking at a dying child in the hospital because of his drunk driving. So is David looking at his dying son and plea for his life because of his sin. You know what? This, David pleaded for the life because of sin, he didn't know if, if God would answer. He knows God is a gracious God and God has the power to, to keep the child from dying. He doesn't know what God would say, but he, he, he wore sackcloth and he pleaded for the child. But God did not remove death. The child died. David knew there was no turning back. The son would never come to him. He would die and he would go to his son. God, he pleaded. God said no. And then David accepted it. And instead of getting angry with God, he went to worship God. Like everyone was scratching their head. What is David doing? Verse 20. Then David got up from the ground. After he washed, put on lotions and cleaned his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. You know what? This human king, he acknowledged the seriousness of sins and the graciousness of God. He, he could bring nothing to God's house to sacrifice but his broken spirit, his, his contrite heart, a heart that repents of sins and sees the scars and looks to God for forgiveness. Later on, David recalled, and he wrote this in Psalm 51, which is our kind of reading early on. This is what David said in verse 16. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I will bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You... God will not despise. Now, some of us are all too familiar with the scars of sins. Now, some of us could have physical scars, relational scars, emotional scars, mental scars. Some of us are all too familiar with the painful scars left behind by our previous sins. The tears, the sorrows, the memories of past sins. They're scars when we sin. But that's not the end of the story as well. For despite these painful scars, or do I dare to say, because God allows us to carry various scars of sin, that we recognize the cost of sin and the need for God's mercy to forgive us. You know, this son of David, he dies because of the hideous 
sin of David because he despised God. But one day, another son of David, in fact, the son of God, will have to die because of our hideous sins. And that is the price God pays when Nathan said to David, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. That is the price God pays when Jesus says to us, your sins are forgiven. You're not going to die. Like David, what can we bring to God as sacrifice for the price that he pays when he just says the word, I forgive. So the consequence of sin is painful, even for forgiven sinners, but never as painful as what God had to bear when he forgave us. For God to say that, the son of David, that great son of David, will die to pay for the crimes. But again, this is not the end of the story, friends, because while God did not remove the scars of David's sin, God carries on. He starts to provide a loving restoration to David out of his rich mercy and forgiveness. So look at verse 24 to 25 with me. The loving restoration of forgiving God. Verse 24, Then David confronted his wife, uh, comforted his wife, sorry. <laughs> then David comforted his wife, Bathsheba, and he went to her and made love to her. She gave birth to a son and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him. And because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedediah. For the first time on record, Bathsheba was not called the wife of Uriah. For the first time in record, he's called the wife of David. David treated her for the first time on record as a husband would. He went to comfort his wife. And then the Lord himself comforted both of them by giving them another son, Solomon, who would be the king after David, the wisest man on earth, and Solomon will continue God's covenant to David in 2 Samuel 7. He would be the ancestor of the great son of David, Jesus. And God revealed his love for David by extending his unfailing love to Solomon. In fact, God so loved Solomon that he sent Nathan to give him a name. But imagine you're David, you know, you're carrying your new son, and then good, good news or bad news, Nathan comes to you and he says, I've got word from the Lord. What would you do if you're David? Is God going to ask me to pay for my crime again? I can't take it. But that's not what Nathan came. He didn't come to bring bad news. And he never mentioned God's judgment on that sin again. But he said, The Lord has brought me here to bless the child. The child should be called Jedediah, the beloved of God. That's what Jedediah means, the beloved of God. Before Solomon even knew his right from his hand left, God loved Solomon for David's sake. He reconciled and says, you shall call your son the beloved of God. And not only did God restore David's relationship himself, David also re restored David as a victorious king by defeating his enemies, the Ammonites. Look at verse 26 onwards. Meanwhile, Joab fought against the Rebah of the Ammonites and captured the royal citadel. Joab then sent messengers to David saying, I fought against the Rebah and taken this, its water supply. Now master the rest of the troops, besiege the city and capture it. I'll take the city and you'll be named after me. 
So David mastered the entire army. He went to Reba, attacked and captured it. Now friends, it's important to recognize that God is giving this victory to David against his enemies. We'll read about the many troubles and scars that David will experience in the chapters to come. But here we see that God gives Israel's enemies into the hands of David. In fact, let's read verse 30. Look at verse 30. David took the crown from their king's head. It was placed on his own head. He weighed a talent of gold. It was set with precious stones. David took a great quantity of plunder from the city. It was a huge victory for David. You know what? The crown that David had taken was significant. Do you know what's the, what's the weight of talent of gold? 65 pounds. About 30 kilos. That's kind of a bit less than my two kids' weight. Uh, it's no joke to try to put them on your head. All right? Uh, but I think the significance is this, that God has given David a victory of a king. The point is clear. David had victory against his enemies. But more than victory, you know what? David's victory is always connected to God's giving. In his victory, what is happening is that God has reconciled himself with David. And once again, David stood as God's king. And this is what this passage is trying to bring to us, this victory. It was God who anointed David, God who delivered David from his enemies, God who gave David his kingdom. Now, brothers and sisters, friends, as we kind of want to round up to this passage, let me, let me just remind us of the three things that we have we've looked at. The first is that sin is hideous. Because sin is a declaration to God that we have contempt on Him and His word. All sin revolves around rebellion against God. The second we have is sin is costly. There are painful consequences to sin on this side of life that some of us will end up bearing when we sin. But the most important point is the third one, that we have a gracious God who is willing to forgive even the worst sinners when we truly repent and turn back to Him. He has shown it by the death of His own Son. So we may bear scars of our sins sometimes on this side of life, but nevertheless, when we repent, God forgives. That is verse 13 for us. He forgives us, He will love us, and He will grant us the greatest restoration that all of us need with God. That we will once again have a relationship with God. The Apostle Paul declared this in Acts 3. He says this, Repent then, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. The Apostle John says this in in his uh, letter, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all righteousness. The Apostle Paul reminds us as well in Colossians, for Jesus has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You know what, friends, brothers, sisters, there will be times, there will be days where certain scars left behind by sin will haunt us, It will make us doubt God's forgiveness, God's restoration, God's love. But God never leaves us without anything to fend for ourselves. You know, whenever David is haunted by his sins, he turns, he sees his son Solomon, and he's reminded that God has truly forgiven his sins, and God has restored his love for David. 
And for us, whenever we sin, or whenever we struggle with our forgiveness and we are hunted by the sins that we have faced, we must turn to Jesus, the Son of David, because He will remind us and assure us that God has indeed forgiven us and God has restored His love for us. How terrible is sin, but how amazing is the forgiveness of God. May we come to God when we sin, because He will forgive us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Help us to see how hideous, how terrible, how evil it is to sin against you. Help us to see sin as it truly is. Help us to recognize the sins in our lives. Help us to realize how painful is the consequence of sin to us and how costly it is for you to forgive. Father, for those of us who have suffered the pain of sin, whether caused by our own sins or that of others, help us to turn to you for healing. That your grace is sufficient for us. Grant us the comfort that when we confess our sins, you will forgive us and restore us a relationship with you. And Father, for those of us who have never come to you for forgiveness but want to today, please forgive the guilt of our sins against you. For the sake of the Son of David, Jesus, please forgive us. For we acknowledge Jesus is our King and our Rescuer. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.